Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van Kerk and my guest today is Piet Verlun. He's the founder and chairman of RECM, one of the few deep value or contrarian asset managers in the country. Pete, welcome to the show. I want to start with your performance of your funds over the past few years. Um, your balance, equity and international feeder fund performed exceptionally well. Um, and this follows a period of uh, relative poor performance. Did you change your approach during the past few years? Thank you for having me on your podcast. Like, um, it's a pleasure to be here. I think if you look at our track record, ECM had a very good track record up until 2014, 13, 14, around about there. And at that time, or in the period leading up to that time, we started devolving responsibility for fund management to some of the other people in the firm, you know, to reduce key man risk. And I sort of stepped back from the portfolio management process. And at the same time, I also stepped back from actually monitoring what process was being followed. So with the result is that in the time period 2013-2014, our process, which had always been one of taking smaller positions, very risk management, became one of taking high conviction, large positions. And so, so, so the sort of process changed a bit. Philosophy was still value. We were still value, very much value investors, and we still are even today. Despite the fact that nobody wants to be called a value investor, we are proud value investors. But our investment process did change somewhat. And having said that, I think there's a lot of research that shows that high conviction, large positions can work over time as long as you can withstand the inevitable volatility that comes with those sort of positions. Of course, in opening the funds like Unitrust, when you have large drawdowns, such as we did in 2014 and 2015, it has a very negative impact on your clients' portfolios and their mindset. So we lost a lot of clients in that process. Uh, and that's one thing that uh, we, we didn't take account of at that time. So by the end of 2015, the firm had shrunk significantly. And of course, there was lots of turmoil within our client base and also within the firm. And then I started uh, taking back control of the portfolio management process. And over the past three years, I've been manage, managing all the funds according to the original recent process of small positions, strictly risk managed, diversified portfolios, but based on the deep value investment philosophy. And um, I, I think the results over the past three years um, speak to that. So, yes, that was a very long-winded way of saying for a while our process did change. Our philosophy didn't, but our process underwent some subtle shifts, but we're back on track now. Of course, uh, as you said, you, you saw an outflow of funds. How quickly does a good performance lead to an inflow of funds? No, it doesn't come, it doesn't come quickly. Once you have lost credibility with the clients, it takes a very, very long time to build it up. That's what they say, you know. Trust is something that's earned over a long period of time, but you lose it in a short period of time. So we're in the process of rebuilding our trust with our clients and with potential new clients. So far, I think uh, the team has done a fantastic job of that. But, you know, these things take a long time to build up again. Uh, but we, day by day, we are busy with that. Just the, the way you do research in many other firms you would see a, an investment committee and several fund managers would work together on a whole portfolio. From what you've said earlier, it seems like you've taken back control. How, how do you yeah. actually, within the team, decide what to invest in or is it uh, basically your decision? 
One of the fundamental tenets of Resim has always been single point responsibility. I think as soon as you have a committee making decisions, uh, individuals abrogate responsibility and everybody looks at each other when something goes wrong. It's nobody's fault. So we believe very firmly in single point responsibility. So I take responsibility for all the fund management decisions and I have a team of three analysts that help me with that. Uh, we sit together, we chat about these things, and we talk about them, we analyze them, but I make the decision, and I manage the money, and, it's, uh, and I stand for by those decisions. Let's talk about the local market. We've seen interesting trends develop over the last year or so. Uh, let's start with the mid-cap sector, which was absolutely hammered last year. The, the Aussie went down 11%, but many companies actually dropped significantly more than that. Uh, how do you view that sector um, and, and the opportunities they offer currently? Yeah, I, I think a lot of companies in the mid-cap sector had become sort of market darlings for a while as uh, certain more growth-oriented fund managers attract a lot of money in the 2015-2016 period and, and bought those companies, and they were seen as sort of almost unfallible, good managers with good businesses. And uh, I think the view was it didn't matter what price you paid for the shares of those businesses, you would make money because they are such good companies managed by such good people. But in the end, you know, those things um, don't work out. And I think a lot of those stocks have come, uh, have come back down to earth with the bank. And so we are starting to see some opportunities there, one or two, but we do think that it's still too early to get involved in those ex-market favorites, if I can call it that way. We think there's an alternative grouping of stocks in that mid-cap space as well, which were never a market favorite before, but are even hated even more now. And those are the SA industrial companies, exposure to basically only South Africa, maybe a bit of sub-Saharan Africa, but predominantly South Africa. Nobody wants anything to do with South Africa. Nobody wants anything to do with those businesses. And at the same time, the economy is going through a very tough stage, as it does every five or six years. So the earnings power of those companies are under pressure. So you have earnings which are coming out quite badly. You have negative sentiment. And all that adds up to some very, very low valuations on those SA focused companies and that's where we're seeing more opportunity now your equity fund your global flexible fund as well as your balance fund are quite heavily invested in uh, hci hoskin consolidated investments obviously that is one of those sa inc stocks uh, the the shed did not perform well last year why do you like it so much um, mainly because it didn't perform so well last year. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm just joking there are a couple of arrows in this quiver. Um, first of all is that we think HCI is managed by one of the top capital allocators in South Africa by the name of Johnny Coulton. He, over time, he has created tremendous value for shareholders with the transactions he's done. He doesn't overpay and he generally buys good assets. So we have an investment company that's run by a tremendously good capital allocator. The second thing is the assets that HCI owns are all top quality assets. I mean, Soho Sun is probably the best hotel business in the country. E-Media is a top media business. It's, it's, it has gone through a tough time, but it is a strong business, generates good cash flows. And so on, you can go through the balance sheet. They own a whole bunch of really good businesses. All of them, unfortunately, focused on South Africa. But when the economy turns, these things are going to fly. And the third 
thing here is that you are getting all those qualities. Good businesses run by a good capital allocator at a massive discount to the underlying intrinsic value. Uh, and those three things to us add up to a, a very good investment proposition. But that strategy is hedged on the performance of the local economy. Now, many economists are not too bullish about accelerated growth in the short to medium term. When do you think the local economy will fly, to use your own words? Yeah, the economy is, is, is always a tough thing. I think um, economists always tend to extrapolate current conditions into the future. You know, a couple of years ago, four or five years ago, when things were going fantastically well in South Africa, all the economists said that it would continue to go well. So you always have these extrapolations by economists, and, and we don't know about that. We don't understand how they come to their uh, projections. All we know about the economy is when things are bad, in a few years' time, they'll be much better, and when things are good, in a, in a few years' time, they'll be much worse. So we like to invest when times are bad because that's when assets are cheap and nobody wants them. And then when times are good, we'll sell out of them. And then we don't listen too much to what the economists say. But it seems to be a a game of patience. You're not going to see SA Inc. stocks probably run in the, the foreseeable or a near-term future. Do you have an horizon, or a patience horizon? Not a set horizon, but we think it pays to be patient. We think the market is increasingly, not only locally but internationally, increasingly driven by short-term orientated participants. It's the old, I'll give you one marshmallow and if you don't eat it, I'll give you another one and you can have two. Uh, but the market always eats its marshmallow way before it can get its second marshmallow. Immediate gratification is the way of the world and it's becoming stronger and stronger. And I think one of the investment edges one can have is to be happy with delayed gratification. And we think that's an edge that not many people can replicate. So that's something we focus on. As I said, there's no set time period, but we think if you pay a low enough price for an asset, over time you will be rewarded. Just You just don't know when. I think with Clover is a great example. It, it's stock that when, has gone sideways for five years, and then out of the blue one day there's a bit for it and it's up 50%. And you've made 10% a year for five years, which is better than the market, which is great. Uh, but you had to be there at some point over those five years and sit with it and wait and wait and wait. And I think that's a classic example of the payoff to delayed gratification. And that's something at RECM we are very good with, delayed gratification. That is interesting. But it means investors should not expect a linear performance of, say, 10% per year every year. Uh, you need to be patient for a while and, and stomach sideways or even negative performance uh, and wait for a big jump. Do you think investors appreciate this? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's always the problem because m most investors want to see regular gains, but in the process, they give up outperformance. And we'd rather pay a little bit away every year while we wait and then get the big returns over time. So, so it's a, a very different profile of performance and one that you can only get if you are patient. And uh, so that's the way we prefer to do things. And, and we think it does make us very different from others, other fund managers. And we think uh, that it pays off. Ideally, the return profile looks like is that when everybody else is making money, we're making a little bit of money. We're not making much. We're just making a little bit of money. 
But then when people lose a lot of money, we tend to not lose. And if you put those two periods together, making a little bit whenever we're making a lot, and then whenever we lose a lot and we make a little, that is strong outperformance. At the end, in markets, it's the one who loses the least who wins. Uh, and if you're going out for regular gains every year, every year you're taking more and more risk, and at some point that all comes crashing down like it did last year for many investors. And one of the reasons our funds did so well over the past three years is because last year our funds didn't lose money. Uh, they were flat or slightly up. And that was in a tough year. And that's the sort of outcome we, we want. And that's the sort of outcome we think our clients want. Let's look at the political environment. We are in an election year. We will probably see a roller coaster ride and we will see a lot of propaganda. How, how do you think this will impact investment decisions? How will it impact our investment decisions? Not at all. It won't impact anything we do. To the extent that prices uh, move up a lot, it might cause us to sell some assets. And to the extent that prices move down a lot in reaction to politics, it might cause us to buy other assets. But we'll only, we only react to the cards as they dealt us. We don't try and anticipate what happens. And you know, as to what happens with politics, I have no idea. It's like economics. I, I just have no idea. I can only react to what, to what the price signals tell me to do. Uh, and I would remind uh, your listeners that living in South Africa the past 30 years, we've gone through major highs and lows, which nobody could forecast. And even if you could forecast them, you couldn't forecast the impact on share prices. Uh, and I think this year will be much more of the same. Uh, and I don't think you need to worry about politics or economics. All you need to worry about is the price you're paying low enough to give you a margin of safety against adverse outcomes. That, that's, that's what one has to worry about. Uh, not exactly what those adverse outcomes are because they're unpredictable. But is the price paying you to hold the asset even if bad things happen? The local market uh, has also performed poorly over the past several years um, relative to what we've seen uh, on international markets. Uh, do you think the, that this disparity could normalize in the near future? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. I think it's a question that exercises the minds of most of the Africans. Uh, I, I think if the Zuma part of the ANC was still in charge, I would say yes, it would carry on and we would go down the Zimbabwe slash Venezuela route. And in that case, you had to make sure that you had no exposure at all to this African uh, equity market or asset market at all, because it would there's a good chance it would go to zero. I think, though, that there is a chance that that might not happen. I think there's a non-negligible chance that that might not happen. What what probability would I put on it? Not a high probability. I'd say I'd give them about a 20 or 30% chance of getting the economy back on track. And to that extent, I think it warrants some exposure to South Africa. I think the assets here are cheap. They are discounting a very, very bad outcome. And that outcome might not happen. And in that case, you could make a lot of money from South African assets, the way they're priced right now. So I think a diversified portfolio warrants at least some exposure to Africa. Should you have all your assets outside of South Africa, like many people tend to believe today, I don't think that would be wise. I think there are many markets offshore which are quite expensive. There are currencies like the dollar which are quite expensive. And I think you are exposing yourself to different risks if you do that. So I think a sensible portfolio today would have some exposure to Africa, depending on risk tolerance, more or less, but some, at least some. And I think one should be very careful about where you move your money offshore. It's not clear to me that uh, 
obvious alternatives like America and the US dollar and some other places are the best places to have your offshore assets in. So I think one needs to be, as always, very cautious. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you, Pete. That was Pete Filyun. He's the founder and chairman of RECM.